We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to Talking Buffalo, featuring conversations with guests from around the world of sports, media, pop culture, and all things Buffalo, with your host, Patrick Moran. I am presenting to you good people, my five biggest Buffalo Bills studs, and five biggest duds through the first five weeks of the NFL season today on Talking Buffalo. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Episode 641, Talking Buffalo, your weekday daily driver for Buffalo Sports Talk and more. I'm your host, Patrick Moran. Thank you very much, as always, for locking in today. Whether you're watching this on YouTube, on the video side, whether you're listening to this on Apple or Spotify or wherever you get your podcast from, I appreciate you all very much. Can't say that enough. In fact, I say it pretty much at the beginning of every single episode because I mean it. I truly appreciate you all. Uh, the show continues to grow. We're weekdays now, Monday through Friday. Your support means everything. So thank you very much for locking in today. I'm solo. I'm going to be counting down my five biggest studs, my five biggest duds, pretty self-explanatory for the Buffalo Bills through the first five weeks of the season. I'll get to that in just a quick minute. A uh, quick couple of quick side notes, actually. Number one, I was actually supposed to have Anthony Marino because I did a solo show Wednesday. I do that every Wednesday. I do a, uh, well, 48 hours after Bills game. When the Bills play on Sunday, on Wednesdays, you're going to see my film room slash PFF Gray's analysis solo episode. Uh, today, I was supposed to have Anthony Marino from Buffalo Rumblings on. Anthony traveled to London last week and uh, just wasn't able to connect with him in time. He was traveling back, getting organized, getting his life back together here. Uh, in the States, but he will be on next week. And I look forward to talking to him, not about the game. Obviously that shit is old news, but just some of his adventures in London. He told me about a couple things that he did. We're both big Ted Lasso guys. I uh, think he spent some time in Richmond. So looking forward to having him on next week and we'll deep dive into a lot of those fun things. Speaking of fun, if you are a hockey fan, this is a fun day, a fun night, a big uh, monumental, maybe even start to the Buffalo Sabres hockey season. If you're watching this or listening to this sometime Thursday morning or uh, maybe early afternoon, folks, we got a regular season Buffalo Sabres hockey game tonight. Man, I am so excited through the moon about it. Matter of fact, 
after the game. So maybe 20, 30 minutes or so after that final horn goes off and the Sabres are done with their season opener against the New York Rangers. By the way, right here downtown at the arena, I am going to be live streaming Friday's episode late on Thursday. So check it out on YouTube or um, on my Twitter feed at Patrick Moran TV. I'm going to have PK from uh, the Buffalo Sports Collective with me. PK has been on the show with me a handful of times. Solid Sabres guy, solid Bills guy, and especially a solid uh, Buffalo Bandits guy. Buffalo Sports Collective is a great podcast. Make sure you check that out. But anyway, PK is going to be on with me live, getting our uh, instant reaction and thoughts from the Sabres home and regular season opener being played Thursday night at the arena. I'm so excited. I really am. By the way, pretty big news here. I'm taping this pretty late on uh, Wednesday night. The Sabres did sign Owen Power seven years, $58 million. So he's locked up yesterday. Uh, the big rest was that lean deal, eight years for 88. That came down. It is unbelievable. The job that Kevin Adams has done getting the core, the young core of this team together for a very long time. You got Owens or Owen Power. You got Rasmus Dahlin, Dylan Cousins, Tage Thompson, Matias Samuelson. These guys are all locked up long-term. It is fun. It is exciting. This is going to be a very exciting season for the Sabres. Tons of optimism, as there should be, not just in Buffalo, but around the league. And you see it everywhere with the national media people. A lot of people think that this is the year that the Sabres are finally going to end what seems like a never-ending playoff drought. I'm optimistic, as many of you are. This team can score, man. <laughs> they put the puck in the net. I think they were third best in the league last year. Might even be better this year. Tage, Skinner, Tuck, Cousins, Paterka. Even say what you want about them. Olsen can put the puck in the net. Lots of guys can put the puck in the net. For me... And I'll talk more about PK with this. Not going to deep dive into the Sabres. This is a Buffalo Bills episode. I know that. But I do want to say my optimism, and maybe because it's Buffalo and just the history that this organization has, at least in recent years, but I'm still a little bit guarded because of the expectations of everyone expecting the, uh, the Sabres to make the playoffs. I still want to pump those brakes just a little bit. And the biggest reason why I say that is because I ultimately, no matter how many pucks they put in the net, they got to stop pucks from going into their own net. And to me, that's a pretty tall task to, to put on somebody like Devin Levi. You know, he played seven games with the Sabres last year and looked good. That's just a sample size. The kid is like literally less than a year removed from playing college hockey. And that's a tall task to ask a kid like that to come in and be your number one goalie. Because UPL, Comrie, they might play good for little stretches, but that ain't it. They need Devin Levi to be what they expect him to be. And sooner rather than later, too. So big expectations. That said, there's like that it factor with Devin Levi. It just feels like he's a star. You kind of felt that with like Ryan Miller. Like this kid is going to be a star. So can he play well? And can the defense play well? You know, will Yogi Hiro be good with Owen Power? The two new guys, Connor Clifton, Eric Johnson, that these guys got juice left in the tank. We'll find out. We'll find out starting tonight. Very exciting time, though, man. I'm so glad, so glad that uh, hockey is back. Uh, one other thing, too. <laughs> I had, if you watched the show yesterday, you know all about this, but I have had beef with what I like to call a loud minority 
of Buffalo Bills fans over some critical, I guess you can call them in fairness to you, who's criticizing me out there, gloomy, uh, the sky is falling tweets, a couple of them that I put out. Long story short, I'm not going to rehash everything that I already talked about on yesterday. Go back to yesterday's show, please, and uh, go listen or watch that. But fans are coming at me, man. I, I, I was not, I was resigned to the Bills not making the Super Bowl. Long story short here, once the injuries mounted with, with Daquan Jones and Matt Milano, to me, that was just too much. Uh, let me actually read the tweet. I'll, I'll read it. I said this exactly word for word. Sorry, it is what it is, regardless of how much you hate hearing it. You do not overcome losing Trey White to Quan Jones and Matt Milano in a span of eight days and successfully overcome it. The Bills are still good. They'll beat a lot of teams, but that's just too damn much. And then a little bit later, and quite frankly, maybe this, you know, in hindsight, I was poking the bear, the bear being angry, hurt Bills fans. I said, Bills will still win games, even if doing nothing but having that next man up across the board. Likely win enough games to make the playoffs. But unless you plan on going out to Wegmans, buying yourself a Bills, insert that year's playoff appearance t-shirt, and being satisfied, Brandon Bean better do something. Now, I'm going to tell you this. I'm not walking back what I said. Do I think the Buffalo Bills season is over? Do I think the Bills have a 0% chance of winning the Super Bowl? No. But the only, there's only one reason why I say no. is because the Bills have a GM. And it's only week five going into week six. And he's got at least a couple weeks to figure out some shit. And by the way, figuring out some shit does not equate to adding Josh Norman to the practice squad and promoting AJ Klein to the active roster and calling it a day. I'm not saying you're going to go out. Brandon Bean's not going to go out. In fact, he's not going to go out. And he's not going to find a linebacker on power with Matt Milano. And you know why? Because there ain't but a, a handful of them in the entire NFL that are on par with Matt Milano. Ditto for Trey White. Money Josh Norman, man, and AJ Klein. I need the bar to be set, not at Matt Milano or not at Daquan Jones if they do anything at that position, which I don't think they will. More nor maybe should they, because they do have Puna Ford and I do like him. But the corner, the linebacker, don't even set the bar at Matt Milano or Trey White. You know what you got to set the bar at? Set the bar at Dorian Williams or Tyrell Dotson or set the bar at Freaking Josh Norman or Kyrie Elam. You got to go out. You got to get better at those positions. You can't lose what they've lost and expect this team to still win the Super Bowl. Yes, I know a lot of people are saying and will continue to say that the Bills offense and Josh Allen has the ability. You got to pick up the offense. You're going to have to score 35 points a game. Well, of course, I get that concept. And the Bills still have a great pass rush. I get that too. Play great offense. Get after the quarterback. That's been the formula we've been talking about for three, four years now with the Bills, right? I get it. But I'm not saying you can't win the Super Bowl when you lose to Quan Jones, Trey White, and Matt Milano. But what I will tell you, to my knowledge, and if I'm wrong, you tell me that I'm wrong. It would be unprecedented for a team to lose what the Bills have lost for the season and still win the Super Bowl. I want you to look at it this way, folks. Objectively, and I said this yesterday, I'm a Bills fan. I ain't hiding from that. I'm not hiding from it. I think there's some content creators and certainly some media people out there who try to say that they're not Bills fans, that they don't care if they win or lose. I don't believe that shit. I just don't. Because you're covering a team 
The engagement with fans is better, uh, quite frankly. And I've noticed this myself and I've talked to other content creators, downloads, views, they're better when the team's winning than when they're losing. So trust me when I tell you, if you're covering this team, nine out of 10 reporters or content creators want this team to win. But that said, I am not going to be Mr. Homer boy when I'm on this podcast or when I'm on Twitter. I am a knee-jerk reactor. I'm a hothead. I think in, and act in the moment. And that's just how I am, and I'm not going to change. So how I feel at the time is what I'm going to tell you. And that's how I feel right now. This team's not winning a Super Bowl if they don't do something. If Brandon Bean doesn't do at least something to improve this roster. And I want you to look at it, if you could be objective and be unbiased. I want you to look at it this way. Matt Milano, all you out there watching or listening, let me ask you this. Would you agree that Matt, Matt Milano at worst is one of the three best and most valuable players on this football team? I certainly hope you would say yes. Josh Allen, number one, indisputable, of course. I'm going to give you Stefan Diggs at number two, although I could make a case for Matt Milano being number two. But I'll give you Stefan at number two. Who else on this team is better at their position and more valuable to their football team and more irreplaceable than Matt Milano? I don't think anybody. I, ju I just don't. I don't. Daquan Jones and Trey White. I would argue they are easily among this, let's say, top eight. Top eight players on this football team right now. And you just lost three of your top eight football players, including one of your top three. I don't know of a team that has ever lost that much for the season. And by the way, these aren't injuries. You go down to week four, you come back at week 11, where guys like AJ Klein and Christian Bedford, well, Christian Bedford just started, but like Josh Norman might have to play. Guys like that have to hold down the fort. Puna Ford, they got to hold down the fort. To your, to your key players come back later in the season. That's certainly doable. But this isn't that, this is not that. This is three outstanding key players, including the top three player on your football team, who are, are done for the season. And I know it's not official, but they're done for the season. I know Sean McDermott held out a little glimmer of hope that Milano or Daquan Jones can come back later in the season. Highly doubt it. Let's assume, and I don't think that's a reach, that they're all done. You just lost three of your top eight players. Find me a team somewhere that was lost at and won a Super Bowl. Is it possible? Yeah, it is possible. It's also unprecedented, to my knowledge. To me, it would be the equivalent of, again, using the premise that you just lost three of your top eight players, including one of your top three. That'd be like the Chiefs winning the Super Bowl without Chris Jones or, or uh, Nick Bolton last year. Do you think that happens? I don't. As great as Pam Holmes is, and Travis, I don't even let you keep Travis Kelsey, but you lose Chris Jones, you lose Nick Bolton, the Chiefs win the Super Bowl. They beat Cincinnati in the, in the AFC Championship last year without Chris Jones and Nick Bolton. No, I don't certainly don't think so. What about the Rams a couple years ago? Yeah, I'll give you Aaron Donald, the quarterback, Matt Stafford. I'll let you have them. Well, you're going to you lose Von Miller. You lose Cooper Cup. Again, three of your best four, five, six players. You lose Cup, you lose Von Miller, you win in the Super Bowl if you're the Rams? I really don't think so. If you're, I could keep going on and on for days. If you're Tampa Bay, okay, you have Tom Brady. But you know what? You just lost Devin White. You just lost Nakamaka Sue. 
You just lost Mike Evans, three of your best six, seven players. You ain't winning the Super Bowl, right? I'm not wrong. Patriots, all the Super Bowls they win. They win them if they don't have Gronk. Other key players, multiple key players. I just don't see it. So it's unprecedented. And if I'm wrong and it's not, please tell me. Let me know. If you're watching this on YouTube, hit off the comment section. Tell me who is. Tell me a team that has suffered multiple key player injuries for the season and still went on to win a Super Bowl. Tell me that I'm wrong. Tell me that is not unprecedented. Email me, talkingbuffalo at gmail.com. Tweet at me, <laughs> at Patrick Moran TV. Let me know. I'd love to know. Give me examples of teams that have won the Super Bowl losing two, three key players, which, by the way, we're only in week five, going into week six. So I'm sorry, man. I just, I'm not walking back what I said. I want the Bills to win the Super Bowl. Of course I do. I don't think it's impossible. But I think Brandon Bean has to do something. And if the Bills happen to win the Super Bowl, as far as I know, what they would do this season, in my book anyway, would go on to be unprecedented. So anyway, I have enough of that. Kind of getting back out of tangent from yesterday because just some fans just want to come at me. And again, you know, generally speaking, dudes, I'm pretty, uh, I'm a funny guy. I could take a joke. I get, I poke fun. Of, I do. I poke, I poke fun of myself. I, I am one of the most self-deprecating people on this earth. But some of y'all just went a little bit too personal, man. People call me the next Jerry Sullivan. Other things I'm not even going to repeat, even on a podcast where I normally swear. Even now, I'm still not going to say some of that shit. And again, some people just want attention and giving it to you. <laughs> Whatever. Anyway, I want to get into. Uh, Studs and duds, the biggest studs and duds, five for each so far through five weeks. Uh, let's start with the studs. And one other thing I want to preface too: Matt Milano, Daquan Jones, I'm going to let you know now, spoiler alert, not on the studs list, not because they're not one of the five best players on this team. In fact, to further illustrate what I'm telling you right now, if Milano and Daquan Jones don't suffer season-ending injuries on Sunday, and I don't have any preface for saying, well, they're not on or because they're not playing anymore. Both of them easily would be on this list. Both of them easily on this list. But they're not. They're not because talking about them even more is just going to make me more sad. And also, I want an opportunity to feature a couple other people who otherwise wouldn't be on that list. But again, going back to how important these players are, they did easily two of the top five studs so far. Uh, through five weeks for the bill. So anyway, they're off that list. Started thinking about this topic and I'm like, hmm, is this going to be hard? And quickly I concluded, no, nah, it's not. Not hard at all, actually. To me, number one on the stud list is Stefan Diggs. And I'm not sure that it's particularly close either. So far this season, 39 catches, 520 yards, five touchdowns, his pace for the season through five games. A buck 33 when it comes to catches, 1,768 receiving yards, 17 touchdowns. 17 touchdowns would smash the team record. And then the catches in the yards, he would uh he would surpass his own personal best to set team records. So he is on pace to smash the record book right now. Um, he's yet to have less than six catches in any game this season. 
So he has been a factor in all five Bills games. He's had 100 yards four times in five games, other than one drop against Jacksonville, and maybe a contested play where he maybe could have came down with the ball, at least knocked it down and said Darius Williams intercepts it. But whatever. That shit aside, Stefan Diggs has just been absolutely unbelievable. And I love him as a player, by the way. And I love everything, you know, all the bullshit on the sideline. And thank you, Josh Allen, for speaking on this because national media with their bullshit narrative again, uh, during the telecast on, on Sunday, the broadcast, if you want to call it that, because that was just a freaking abomination, the job that NFL Network did. But anyway, Stefan Diggs was visibly upset. And the national narrative quickly became he's yelling at Josh Allen, this and that. And Josh said, no, he was, Stefan was mad at himself for running a, the wrong route. And he was just being Stefan. Okay. The dude is full of fire. The dude has emotion. The dude wants to win more than anybody on that football field. I love Stefan Diggs. It's crazy to think that a handful of months ago, people were saying to some extent, maybe me too, that maybe he don't want to be here. <laughs> if that's the case, oh my God, I don't know. What more does he got to do on the football field to show you, man? He's unbelievable. So he's an easy choice for me for the number one stud so far this season for the Bills. Number two, and this makes me very happy to say because I was a little bit skeptical about the extension that he signed over the summer, quite frankly. Ed Oliver. I think Ed Oliver has been sensational through five weeks. He's third among all NFL defensive tackles in pressures with 22. Only the rookie from Philly, Jalen Carter, and uh, San Francisco's All-Pro, Javon Hargrave. They're the only two tackles. With more pressures in Ed, and Ed's got four sacks, which is second best among all defensive tackles in the NFL this year. A half a sack only behind Chris Jones um, from Kansas City. So Ed Oliver has been great in getting after the quarterback. He's also been good against the run. In fact, great against the run. Nine tackles. He leads the team tackles for a loss this season. Again, a big contract that he signed this summer, but not really that big when you think about some of the, the offensive tackle contracts to come. Kind of like, sort of like around the middle of the pack. He's not playing like a middle of the pack player. He's playing great. The key is, will it sustain? And this going back again to Daquan Jones. Does Daquan Jones have a lot to do with how great Ed Oliver has played? Ed played great on his own on Sunday because Daquan Jones got hurt on the first drive. But anyway, will he maintain that without Daquan? We'll find out. See, that's always been the thing about Ed Oliver, at least in my estimation anyway, through his career to this point. Your boy has looked like a world killer at times. Unbelievably great. He looks like an all-pro. And then he disappears at other times. Literally. I've said it a million times. Like, did he even suit up in the playoffs? I barely would know last year. He did. I'm just being sarcastic here. But you get my point. Need to see it with more consistency. But I'll tell you what, through the first five games, holy shit, man, Ed Oliver has been a force. So he's number two. Number three, I got to take a deep breath with this one. <laughs> it's, like a, it's almost funny that I got Terrell Bernard number three on my list because I, again, calling myself out here, season prediction episode. I said, I don't give a shit that Terrell Bernard is starting at middle linebacker, which by the way, he didn't win the job at training camp or preseason. Tyrell Dotson lost the job, which is true. That is how it played out at the time. But I said, who gives a shit? Because your man, Christian Kirksey, is going to be the middle linebacker starting by week three. I said that. That was one of my big, bold Buffalo Bills predictions 
during our prediction episode right before the season started. <laughs> God, I sound like an idiot now. Holy shit, man. I, Terrell Bedard, what a pleasant and now needed surprise for the Bills. 45 tackles, two sacks, handful of tackles for loss, two interceptions, two fumble recoveries this year, which I've said this and I got to hate, feel like I'm constantly kicking Tremaine Edmonds in his ass. But Tremaine, while better than a lot of metrics indicate, you know, we, we know what he could do, man. The athleticism, taking away a lot of passing lanes, the height, the speed he played with at times. Kind of felt like he never really got the credit he deserved from a lot of the haters because he never put up big numbers. But that's the thing, man. He never put up big numbers. Jermaine Emmons in his entire Bills career over a full season never had more than two interceptions or two sacks or two fumble recoveries. Terrell Bernard's done that in five games. He's done in less than five games, Terrell. He's just got a nose for the football, a knack for the football, very Matt Milano-like. He just There's just players that have that knack. And early on, in his, he's not a rookie, but it's essentially his rookie season, Terrell Bernard. He's got that knack. He's got that it factor. And I'll tell you what, it's not just the pass coverage to beat around the football. This is the shocking part to me. He's got an 83.4 PFF grade against the run, which is eighth best in the NFL among all linebackers. And I know there's some people out there who are going to say, oh, it's PFF. Because about PFF. See, that's the shit I hate. I hate that shit. People who use PFF when it fits their narrative and then bashes them when it don't. If you don't like Gerald Bernard, if you don't believe in Gerald Bernard, and I throw out that number, you're like, oh, PFF. But if you like that number, then PFF's the greatest thing. Well, PFF says, so don't go both ways. Personally, me, I believe in PFF, although I admit at times it's weird and I don't understand it. And I'll just leave it at that. But anyway, Terrell Bernard's been really good against the run. Has not hurt them at all. Maybe that changes. You know, I'm going to play some big running teams. He might get mauled at times. He's a very undersized linebacker. That's not going to change. But hey, you're going to do what you're doing on the field. I'll, I'll take you, you know, getting taken out of a play every now and then. He's been great. So he's number three on my list. Number four, they're, uh, to, in my estimation, their best free agent signing during the offseason. Leonard Floyd, solid free agent signing, a late one. Um, you know, I, gave him the, I remember talking to Tone Bucks about this because I, I said, yo, this is a guy who's had nine sacks, three straight seasons. And I pointed out that Bruce Smith and Mario Williams are the only two players in the history of the Buffalo Bills to ever have nine sacks or more in three straight seasons. And it was kind of like one of those, we'll wait and see, is, is, is uh, Leonard Floyd washed up? Well, the answer is no, he's not. Five and a half sacks through five games, so he's on pace for over 17. I mean, uh, that's not realistic to think he's going to keep that up. But he certainly looks, he's already more than halfway to getting the double digits and really through five weeks. He's top 25 in the NFL among defensive ends and pass rush productivity. So he's been great to me. He's been a stud. And with Vaughn Miller out for the first four games and essentially the fifth because he was there physically in a way against Jacksonville, but he didn't start to ramp up at all. Leonard Floyd has really held down this pass rush big time for the Bills in Vaughn's absence. So huge props to him. He's fourth on my stud list. And then last... Not as big of a surprise as number three, but also a big surprise in my in my mind anyway. I, I went with A.J. Epinesa. 
84.9 BFF overall grade uh, this season for the Bills. That's third highest among anyone on defense behind Daquan Jones. And actually, uh, Kingsley Jonathan, who's been really good, but more on him another time. Um, AJ's got three sacks this year already. Six and a half all of last year. And I remember saying last year, it's six and a half sacks. Can you remember any of them? Because none of them mattered. Not the case this year, man. Not the case at all. Memorable sacks. He's got three tackles for a loss. He's got a forced fumble. Had that sweet-ass pick six, which was awesome. And he's not, he leads the team right now with six passes defending because he's knocked down six passes at the line. He's almost had like three interceptions this year. He's been great. And kudos to Brandon Bean because at the time, I was not happy that they chose Boogie Basham to trade to the Giants. I wanted it to be A.J. Vanessa. I'm like, well, Boogie's got two years left on his deal. A.J.'s only got one. Who cares? A.J. Vanessa, if, the way he's playing right now, that would be a huge loss if he wasn't a Buffalo Bill. So that's my fifth guy uh, through five weeks. Honorable mention, and I know this is where most people are going to disagree because I don't have Josh Allen on my list. I'm just going to say this real quick. I don't want to harp on Josh for too long here. He's been great in their wins this year. Shit, man. They've won three games, and two of those three games, he's quite literally been the AFC Offensive Player of the Week. So how do you have a guy who in five weeks has been the best player in the entire conference on offense? How do you not even have him on your top five stud list? Well, because he is, to me, nearly single-handedly responsible for their opening week loss. So that loss, I'm putting on Josh right away. And I thought he was just okay against the Jags. After watching the film and breaking down stuff, the numbers look good. 359 yards, two touchdowns, one interception was, was kind of basically a punt in a way. But he missed a lot of throws. Not a lot, but he missed some throws. He should have connected with Stephon Diggs for a touchdown. Missed that. Missed some other plays. He wasn't bad, but he was all right against Jacksonville. So to me, if you've played five times <clears throat> and you've looked great twice, good once, adequate once, and like shit against the Jets once, you're not going to let on the top five list. You're close, but he's been a little bit too inconsistent for me for uh, top five. And by the way, if you're wondering for Josh Allen for the season, sidebar here, uh, his season stats, he's on pace to throw for 4,784 yards, 37 touchdowns. Those sound great but also 17 picks. Also on pace to run for 10 touchdowns and 408 yards on the ground too, but that goes without saying. Anyway, this ain't no hating on Josh. Josh is still my guy. The, the Bills ain't winning the Super Bowl. Josh Allen is not every bit as good as Pat Mahomes or Joey Burrow or, or Jalen Hurts. I was going to say Brock Purdy, but that team's so good, they don't even need him to be that great. You, know, you get what I'm saying. He's going to have to be at an MVP level without question, especially now if the Bills have Super Bowl aspirations. Just not their top five for me yet, just because of all the inconsistency. Real quick, don't have them on my list either, but easily could have made a case for either Gabe Davis, Greg Rizzo, James Cook, even though he did nothing against Jacksonville, or uh, Micah Hyde, who I think is 95% of what we saw from Micah Hyde in years past. So those are my studs. Real quick break, and then I'm going to fly through... Uh, the duds. Be right back. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate 
isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, we're back, and I'm going through now my five biggest Buffalo Bills duds through the first five games. Um, just like with the studs, when I started thinking about it, it became clear pretty quickly when I knew I wanted to do this topic. Same thing with the duds. Uh, it, it took me about three seconds to come and land on Dawson Knox. Straight up. Five games, 11 catches. Seven, he didn't even have 100 yards for the season. 75 yards for the season. Only one touchdown in five games he's got three drops at least three drops that i know of so he's not done anything statistically productive on this field barely at all for the bills this year um in terms of pff and grades 45.6 overall grade for the season is by far the worst of anybody on the buffalo bills offense this year and you if you want to know how bad he was according to grades anyway in london this past Sunday, 42.2 BFF overall grade. It's the lowest of any Buffalo Bills player, not just on Sunday, but the lowest of any player in a single game for the entire season. I don't know what's up with him. I don't know if he doesn't like the 11 personnel. I don't know if the Bills just decide to go away from him, that he's not going to be a focal point of this offense anymore. I don't know what it is. But what I do know is you never know when the ball is coming his way, if he's going to catch it or not. Um, he's blocking terrible. His run blocking grades, and even when you watch it on film too, is not look good. And this guy is a guy supposed to be a pretty good blocker. Haven't seen it. I don't know what it is. And if your thinking was, well, and this is not the good news. Well, you know, they drafted a tight end the first round. Let's see how he looks. And then come next year, we'll just get rid of Knox. Well, Dawson Knox's contract states otherwise. It's going to be really hard, if not impossible, for the Bills to cut Dawson Knox or trade him in 2024. So they better figure this shit out with both tight ends. But to me, especially Dawson Knox, I mean, it's Josh Allen's boy. I expect more from him. And I get 
Now you're throwing the ball to Stefan a ton and Gabe a ton, and you want to run the ball more effectively, and you want to use these other guys, and that there's only one football. I get that, but you got to find a way to make Dawson Knox somehow more productive because it's just been doo-doo so far. <laughs> I'm a grown-ass man using the word doo-doo to describe somebody's production, which is number one, or the reason why he's number one on my duds list. So Dawson Knox, number one. Number two, hate saying it, hate it. But I got to go at this point with Jordan Poyer. And I'm going to walk kind of a tricky line here, man. I know a lot of people on, on Twitter say, your boy's washed. I hear that a ton. Jordan Poyer's washed. Jordan Poyer's old. I don't want to go that far because I haven't seen enough to, to determine that. The reason why I got him on my duds list is because for six years, the Jordan Poyer that I know is one of those instinctive, kind of like Milano or like Bernard's done early this year, an instinctive knack for the football, knack for the big play type of guys. Like he'll get beat some, he'll make some mistakes, but you need that big pick. Bam, there's Jordan Boyer. You need to, somebody to force a fumble. Bam, you need a timely blitz. Bam, there's Jordan Boyer. That's the way it's been with him. But we're not seeing that this year. And we're five weeks in. Now, he didn't play one game, so we're four games in for Jordan Boyer. But right now, let's be honest. Jordan Boyer is just another dude out there. He's one out of 11. There's nothing special so far this season about Jordan Boyer, which sucks because Jordan Poyer has always been a special player. Now, again, I'm not going to go as far to say that he's washed, that he's done. But it does look like he's lost a step. I mean, we have seen that a couple times. But that would be okay. Again, he has instincts that few football players have. Not, it's not always about the fastest guys, about the guy with the best instincts, the guys who can anticipate things, guys who make plays in money time. But he's just not doing that either. So I don't know. And it makes me wonder. You know, we thought it was a foregone conclusion. All of us did that Poyer was gone after last season. Goes to the free agent market. Comes back to Buffalo, quite frankly, because there just wasn't really any offers out there for him. Nothing, obviously. No meat on the bone for him to chew on. That's for sure. So you wonder now in hindsight, maybe did these teams take a look at Jordan Poyer and say, hey, this is a guy who really don't have much left. If anything left, we're going to go younger. Or we're going to go with someone else at this position. I don't know. But what I do know is through five games, I'm still waiting for that Jordan Poyer game. I'm still waiting for him to be a factor in this game. And, and he just hasn't been that yet. So I got Jordan Poyer number two. Number three, I'm going to go back to tight end again. And I'm going to go with Dalton Kincaid. I want to be really clear here. This is not a talent issue. This is not a, oh, this was a bad pick by the Bills. This guy's going to be a bust. Not saying any of that shit at all. So don't twist my words, man. I got him number three straight up just because he hasn't been nearly as productive as I anticipated. 17 catches so far this season for 118 yards. No touchdowns. Has not found the end zone. He's only hit 30 yards receiving in a game once. And his season high is only 43 yards. So 42 yards, actually. So um, the, just the production hasn't been there. A 56.6 BFF. Uh, grade for the season, which is actually second worst on the entire offense. Again, ahead of only his positional teammate, Dawson Knox. That's it. But the issue doesn't feel like it's got anything to do with talent. But it's it's frustrating because we sat there, Bills fans sat during the draft in April, 
with a lot of anxiety. It was go get another receiver. It was all about the receiver. And then we watch all these receivers go off the board. Brandon B moves up and he takes a tight end. You're like, huh? But then you start to hear about why and the type of player that he is and the athleticism and stuff like that. And you're like, oh, okay, it makes sense. We're going to play a lot more two tight ends, 12 personnel. We're going to do different things on offense that we haven't done before. This is going to be awesome. Well, that part of this offense has not really been awesome so far. I know the skills there. I remember at training camp watching this guy, how fluid he is, is smooth and effortless. I use that word effortless. I'll pronounce it right. Catching the football just looks so easy, even the tough catches. I remember the first game of the season against the Jets in overtime where Josh Allen on their one possession, he do a low ball to Dawson Knox and Dawson Knox, not really surprisingly, didn't come up with. And I said instantly, I said, well, Dalton Kincaid would have caught that, right? But that's the thing. He's not really getting those opportunities right now. So I got to have you on my dud list because you've been a dud. Not necessarily your fault. That's more of a Ken Dorsey or game plan thing or just what, however the game plays out. But I can't not have you as a dud if you're not doing much at all. So I got him as a dud right now. Uh, number four, and I'm cheating because he's supposed to be players. But in this case, I'm actually going to go with an entire position. And I'm saying the Bills slot receivers. That's been a dud for me. Let me run down seasonal stats. Not game stats, seasonal stats. Deontay Hardy, 11 catches for 100 yards. Khalil Shakir, three catches for 27 yards and a touchdown. Trent Shurfield, five catches for 39 yards. Let me go to those last two. Shakir, three for 27. Shurfield, five for 39. That's not week three against uh, Washington or week four against Miami. That's for the season. Five games. And Deontay Hardy having 100 yards, 62 of that came last week in London against Jacksonville. Besides that output by Hardy, no receiver. All three of those guys for the rest of the games have had 20 yards receiving in a game. And I'm like, okay, where's the upgrade? Where's this upgrade over Cole Beasley's old washed up ass? Where's this upgrade over Isaiah McKenzie, who seemed like he drops every third pass? Makes great plays, tons of mistakes. Where's the upgrade over John Brown, who probably had very little left him to take, minus one great catch last year? Where's the upgrade? Not seeing it. Not seeing it anywhere. And if you want to stay with the slots, because a lot of people consider Dalton, Dalton Kincaid a big slot receiver, throw his ass in there too. The slot production from the receivers. And again, you only got one football, man. You want to run the ball more effectively. You want to throw the ball to Stefan. You want to keep him happy. You want Gabe to be a true number two receiver. You always got to catch the football to do that, right? You got to throw the ball to him. I get it. Only so many opportunities. But right now, the slot receiving position seems like literally minus one great play from Hardy Sunday. Bat play aside. That's just like a little tiny dump-off safety valve. Oh, no one else is there? Progression one, two, three, four. Uh, and I'll throw it on him. Chuck it over. Here, here goes two and a half yards. The slot wide receiver position has done shit for the Bills pretty much in five games. So that's an easy one for uh, Duds. And then the last one, I know you're sick of hearing it. Uh, you know, I'm hanging. Um, you know, I'm getting the low-hanging fruit right now. But I'm going to say Kyrie Lum. And I can make a case that Kyrie Lum be number one. Straight up. Okay? Dude's a first-round pick. I'm tired of the excuses. The guy is a first-round draft pick by Brandon Bean in his second year. Had all of the summer, all training camp, 
had all the preseason to make a case for himself, to win a job. Forget about winning a starting job. He ain't even dressing. It took Trey White's Achilles rupturing and Christian Benford, his shoulder to get hurt for Kyrie Lim to go from street clothes to starting one game in London. And he got torched. He got torched. And I don't want to hear it because it's Kel it's Kelvin Ridley. Kelvin Ridley does that against everybody. He's one of the best receivers in the league. Make a play, man. Make a play, Kyrie Lim. Make a play. He didn't. And it ain't just fans who don't know shit about the sport who think they do. Say, oh, this guy sucks. No, that's your coaches pulling you out of the game and benching you for Jamarcus Ingram at the end of the game. So you've been in sweatpants on the sidelines for four games, and then you get yanked the one game that the team had to count on you to be a starter. I just don't see it. I don't see the future, man. Sometimes you got to say the uncomfortable. He's virgin now on a bust. If you don't want to say he's a bust, he's virgin on it. I'd be willing to bet. I said this earlier this week. Christian Benford's back at practice on Wednesday. He looks like he's going to be good to go. Dane Jackson, it was only a walkthrough, but he missed it with a foot. Did not participate. Let's assume that Dane Jackson gets better in the next couple of days and he's going to play on Sunday, Sunday night against the Giants. You want to bet dollars to pennies that Jamarcus Ingram is going to be that third corner and that Kyrie Elam goes right back to street clothes. So you've got him beaten out by a six-round pick in your draft class and an undrafted free agent out of UB. If that's not a bust at this point in your career, I don't, I don't know what is, man. So it's a, it's frustrating because God, you look at this team and you think of Matt Milano and Daquan Jones or Trey White, and you're like, God, why did you set a better corner or another linebacker or defensive tackle? What they could have used instead of having a guy who's going right back probably to street clothes. I want to be wrong. I like Kyrie Lum. He's not a bad person. He's a good person. He works hard. I had fun watching him go at uh, Stefan Diggs during training camp. Spirited battles. They were fun to watch. Some of the highlights of a uh, training camp, quite frankly, from the practices I went to. We just, some players just have and some don't. Maybe it's the defense. Maybe it's the team. Maybe it's the scheme. Maybe it's the fit. I don't know. But it's like now that he's played, like we talked about, well, let's try to trade over and see maybe get a mid-round pick if you're lucky or something. I'm telling you. You drive the car off the lot, the sticker price goes down. Well, the car went off the lot. You you, you, you watch the car on video, and I'm like, this car, what is this car even worth shit at this point? I don't know. Not promising. So anyway, to review, man, I'm going to go run through these and make it out. Biggest studs through five weeks. Again, not Connie Milano or Daquan Jones. Stefan Diggs, Ed Oliver, Terrell Bernard, Leonard Floyd, AJ Abanessa. On the flip side, my duds. Dawson Knox, Jordan Poyer, Delta Kincaid, all the Bills slot wide receivers, past, present, in the future, the way it seems, and uh, Kyrie Lum. So that's going to do it for this episode. Again, thank you very much. And I really want to hear your feedback. I want to hear your feedback if you agree or disagree about people that are in my studs or duds list. Where would you have them? Where do you think they should be ranked? Should they be ranked at all? Again, comment. You can, you can tweet at me at Patrick Moran TV or hit me up on Instagram or TikTok, same handle. You can email talkingbuffalopodcast at gmail.com. Uh, YouTube, of course. 
like, subscribe, leave a comment, love interacting with all you guys and girls. And this is a topic, obviously, that is uh, up for debate. And like I said at the beginning, too, if I'm wrong about key players, multiple key players being injured and out for a season on teams that have went on to win the Super Bowl, please tell me because I would love to know. I really would. All right, on that note, like I said, that's going to do it for this episode. I will be back. If you're watching on the video side anyway, live late Thursday night, PK from the Buffalo Sports Collective. He's going to join me shortly after the Sabres game. We'll recap that, talk some Buffalo Bills and much more. And that podcast will drop for the rest of you who don't watch on the video side. That'll be out first thing uh, Friday morning. Thanks. Be safe. Take care. Talk to you soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.